This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. The Sometimes Say Never Report is still available as a goodie until the end of February, and it's about binging and how to avoid binging and how to decide whether a food goes on your never list or on a conditional list. Like, can you have birthday cake three times a year on a couple of birthdays? Can you have Cracker Jacks at the ball game if you go two or three times a year? Or are these foods going to mess you up and destroy your inner peace and compromise your results? You can download the Sometimes Say Never report for absolutely free at plantyourself.com slash never, all lowercase n-e-v-e-r. Okay, let's talk about today's show. Have you ever lamented the fact that progress is slow on things that matter to you? Has it ever bothered you that maybe you learned how to eat healthy, but all the people around you don't, and your neighbors don't, and your community doesn't, and you don't have any social support? Well, today's guests, Ed and Amanda Smith, were kind of facing those issues, but they took a very, very different approach than most of us do, and they are leaders. And I'm fascinated by this phenomenon of leadership because it goes so far beyond what we think of in terms of formal leadership. And it's really about getting large numbers of people in a cascading way to change. So Ed and Amanda are from Marshall, Texas, uh, East Texas, and what they refer to as the stroke belt. Lots of animal agriculture, lots of steak. If it ain't deep fried, what's the good in it? And in the midst of all this, they discovered the China study, forks over knives, and Ed averted a health scare by changing to a whole food plant-based diet. And what happened next was Ed decided that leadership was called for. And he was at that point the mayor of Marshall. He had been a mover and shaker, an entrepreneur, a successful business person. And he wanted to see like what could he do to shake up things in Marshall and surrounding areas and spread this word. Six years later, Get Healthy Marshall and the Marshall Texas Health Fest are huge events. People come from all over the world. The speakers list is a who's who in the plant-based movement. And the changes that they have made in their community are stunning, from vegan restaurants to restaurants with vegan menus to lots and lots of people curious about exploring and beginning to adopt plant-based diets. I wanted to find out what separated them in their thinking from all the people who are part of the movement who don't take this kind of action and who don't have this kind of impact on their communities. So without further ado, Ed and Mandy Smith, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here with you today. Yeah, we're fans of yours too, so this is exciting as an opportunity for us. Awesome, awesome. You guys have done something really remarkable and i'd love to kind of get into the backstory and all that but first of all let's just let's just start with uh with today you guys um co-founded and uh and run health fest or uh get healthy well tell me what it is uh well get healthy marshall inc is a nonprofit that we started here a few years ago while i was still mayor of our city uh where we were trying to uh introduce the um whole foods plant-based movement to our city and uh, to see if we could really make meaningful changes in people's lives here in our community 
through uh, education about the benefits, the health benefits of a whole foods plant-based uh, diet. And so we uh, founded uh, Get Healthy Marshall Inc. and uh, to uh, be the vehicle for that. And the event that it puts on every year is called Health Fest. And so Health Fest uh, 2017 is coming up uh, this uh, March 31st through April 2nd. Gotcha. And uh, how big is Marshall? We're about 27,000 people here. And uh, we're over in East Texas. Uh, we're 30. We're kind of in the, uh, some people call us the hub of the Arklatex, but uh, which being Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas, and, and even Oklahoma, right over here in northeast corner of Texas. Uh, we're about 35 miles due west of uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, and uh, 150 miles east of Dallas, uh, close to uh, Longview and Tyler, Texas. Not too far from Texarkana, if people are familiar with Texarkana. So uh, just right over here in northeast Texas. I'm four hours north of Houston, which is where I'm originally from. <clears throat> but it's, uh, you know, Health Fest is uh, drawing people not just from our area, but from all, of, all over the world. We've had people from, what, seven or eight different countries. Yeah, Brazil, attend. Germany, South Africa, <clears throat> England, you know, Mexico and Canada, of and course, at but this a lot point, of different countries. We've been very surprised by that. Yeah, and at this point, I think we've had somebody, people from every state in the country have, have attended on, at some point in time. And uh, we'll usually have uh, about 80% of the people that attend the Health Fest now come from out of, out of town, and most of them are from out of state. So it's, it's not that difficult to get here. And uh, I'll plug it. It's healthfest.com. <laughs> right, we'll, 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 we'll talk a lot about Health Fest, but now this is the point in in the movie where it uh, it goes black and then it goes like you know seven years earlier <laughs> yes so like let's let's start with you guys how did you first get interested in, in a diet in a plant-based diet it sounds like where you're from are not exactly you know hotbeds of hippie nutrition well eight years ago i was living in houston actually and i'd always been interested in books on health and and nutrition and diet and vegetarianism. In fact, I read Diet for New America in the 80s and it was very influenced by that. But um, I came across a little book called The China Study, which you're familiar with. And I read The China Study and I told Ed, this is the most important book I've ever read. You need to read it. And um, then I'm going to let him take over from there. Well, I was, I don't know. She had me, she asked me to read The China Study. I read uh, the book and uh, two-thirds of the way through it uh, I realized that the uh, science that was put forth in that book made sense and <clears throat> it was really the way I should be living my life so two-thirds of the way through the book I made an abrupt change I, I, I changed my diet completely I didn't try to phase out or transition or anything I just overnight uh, went to a whole foods plant-based diet and, and have never looked back since uh, now, I will say I was predisposed <clears throat> to, uh, to that at the time because uh, some people that I knew, uh, uh, an attorney that I went to uh, school with, the college with, uh, <clears throat> he lived in a neighboring community over in Longview, uh, he jogged every day and was healthy and uh, wasn't particularly overweight or anything like that, and I thought he was you know, a fit guy, and he, he dropped out of a heart attack, and he was in his 40s. And... Then uh, a petroleum landman in Fort Worth uh, walked every day, looked like he was fit, uh, was out walking one morning and dropped dead of a heart attack while he was on his morning walk. Mm. And so <clears throat> I started looking at my own 
mortality and try to focusing in on things. And so I had already tried to, you know, the, the, it's sort of a, a misnomer out there that, you know, if you get red meat out of your diet, you're okay. And, and that's kind of what I thought. So I, I quit eating red meat at that point, but I was still eating. I was trying to eat turkey and chicken and fish, and I didn't particularly like fish, but uh, I thought that was a safe way to go <clears throat> until uh, I got into the China study and, and uh, read more about uh, how <clears throat> eating a you know a meat-centric diet uh, is, is actually very harmful for your health. And so um, <laughs> I made that change, and like I said, I've never looked back since then. Wow. So, Mandy, were you surprised when Ed changed, like, instantaneously? I felt like the book was that. I mean, I was very pleased and glad and somewhat surprised because he went from straight meat and potatoes to vegan overnight, basically. And I had been a vegetarian for 20 years. So I was, but I thought the book was really powerful, and I knew that he was very scientifically minded and that he would find the evidence inarguable, as he did. So I was surprised in one way, but in another, I, I expected it because I knew he'd see the logic. Wow. So 20 years, that's kind of a long time to have a, uh, a divided household. Were you? Oh, no, we've only been married since 2008. So we oh. weren't married when I made him read the China study, <clears throat> made him okay. requested. <laughs> I didn't force him. Gotcha, gotcha. We, we met uh, uh, in 2004. And uh, we got married in 2008. Okay. Well, still, four, four, four years Four years is a long time for someone to feel like they know something that the other person doesn't know. Um, I'm always curious in situations like this, like, what was the dynamic? Was, you know, did you, was, did you feel like there was any pressure or, like, you know what I'm I asking? About, like, like, in so many relationships... One person wants to become healthier, and it actually kind of backfires on on the other person. Well, you know, let me tell you, just say, <clears throat> in my case, I have a lot of respect for for Mandy. She's very, very smart. <laughs> Sometimes too smart, and uh, and uh, I knew that, <clears throat> you know, if she believed in something and was promoting it to me, uh, that I really needed to pay attention to it, and so. Uh, and, and, you know, so it wasn't, uh, that was about, uh, 2000 and I guess it was 2006 when I made my change, <clears throat> you made yours complete to a whole foods plant-based diet in November of 2005. Right. And, uh, so it was about six months later that I made the transition. Uh, it, it took me that long to get around to start reading the book. And then, and then as I started reading it, I got more into it and, and like I said two-thirds of the way through made the change so it was around February 2006 when I when I made the change and and so so it wasn't that long of a transition really other than she was a vegetarian before and at that time you know she thought eating fish was acceptable so she was encouraging me to eat fish which I didn't particularly like fish but she was trying to get me, get me to quit eating chicken and turkey and that kind of thing and then I finally uh, and we thought there was no limit on eggs and cheese, unfortunately. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, like I said, after reading the China study, uh, that was really the, the, the catalyst that made the change. So, so you made the change. It sounds like you both uh, roughly the same time went whole food plant-based. And there's, you know, there's really compelling science in the book, but then there's your experience of life doing it. What did, what did you notice you know, days and weeks and months after going whole food plant-based? 
Well, the, the, the first thing was <clears throat> I lost a lot of weight. <laughs> I probably dropped, I don't know, 30, 40, 40 pounds, she says. <laughs> but he wasn't trying to lose weight. So it just was kind of effortless, which was nice, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I started feeling better that way. And so I started, uh, began to work out and exercise some along the way. And so uh, that part was good. And, um, and <clears throat> about the time that, you know, I made this transition, my, uh, my total cholesterol had gotten up to over 200. And uh, the last time I'd seen a doctor about that, <clears throat> the doctor had said, you know, you're up around 219, I believe it was, 220, something like that. And he said, so that was borderline, which I know now that's way, it's still too, way too high. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he said, we're going to watch it and, and uh, we may have to, you know, do something here in the not too distant future from a medication standpoint, which I, I don't particularly like to take drugs or medications or anything. So I, you know, I, I really didn't want to do that. And so, Fortunately, my, my cholesterol, you know, came right on down, and uh, which made a lot of difference. Um, the other factor that we had, the other thing that kicked in about that same time because we were watching my cholesterol, is we decided to run a PSA test, and that came back as a surprise. Uh, my PSA score was uh, over four, which. Uh, uh, when you get up in the range of four plus, uh, they'll tell you that that's uh, an indication of, of potential prostate cancer. And so that really got our attention. And uh, uh, I went to my father, excuse me, my father had prostate cancer. And so I went to his uh, 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 urologist, who's a surgeon over in Shreveport, Louisiana. And uh, Amanda went with me and we got into his office and it was like a, a Monday or Tuesday early in the week. And he said, yeah, your, your score is too high. And, uh, what we need to do is run a biopsy on you. And if you'll come back on <clears throat> this next Thursday or Friday of that week, I believe it was, we'll do a biopsy and, and we'll have the results on that over the weekend. And <clears throat> the following week we can set you up for surgery. He was very cavalier. <clears throat> and mm, yeah, like, a, yeah. like just going through the, uh, Conveyor, conveyor belt, right? Yeah, and he'd already, yes. he, you know, in this particular um, clinic, they specialize in robotics and they market it and advertise it, you know, and so. Yeah, well, they, they spent uh, good money on that stuff, right? Exactly. And uh, they have billboards, even over in our community, they run billboards on it. And, but, you know, it was like he, he already knew what the end result was going to be before we even, you know, went through the process. So, that really uh, got our attention. We came back. We spent, I don't know, the next several days uh, doing research on prostate cancer and potential treatments and things like that. And and we found a a, a doctor in uh, uh, over in Florida, uh, in uh, Bonita Springs, Florida, uh, and uh, he uh, he has a practice that uh, <clears throat> he uh, promotes a whole foods plant based approach. He pretty much follows Dean Ornish's uh, recommendations. Uh, basically a whole foods plant-based diet. He calls it a modified Mediterranean diet. He will allow a little bit of fish and uh, which at this point I wasn't eating fish. But um, but the interesting thing was is in his practice he had a, a clinical trial going on that uh, uh, where they were uh, using a new uh, MRI machine that um, uh, GE had just developed. It was 
a much more powerful MRI machine than what they typically use. And they were using that in conjunction with uh, uh, spectroscopy, uh, where they look at certain metabolites and their ratio to each other uh, to identify prostate cancer without having to do a biopsy. And the reason they, didn't, they were doing this uh, study uh, about uh, identifying prostate cancer without biopsy um, was that there's, there is risk when you do a biopsy with what they call needle tracking, where when they go in and biopsy needle, <clears throat> it's invasive and it uh, you know breaks through the tissue, uh, goes to the area that they're sampling and takes a sample tissue and, and retrieves it through the um, uh, needle path that the uh, needle <clears throat> uh, went in to begin with and then it, and it comes back out. And so there's a possibility of tracking and leaving um, uh, cells that come back uh, in that uh, pathway. And there's a risk of spreading cancer cells on any biopsy uh, through needle tracking. And there's some suggestion that some, pro some cancers, even prostate cancer, are spread actually through the biopsy process. And so it's kind of one of those catch-22 things, you know. And so um, in this particular case, uh, we were able to get into the clinical trial on it. Uh, they, and we were, they were pretty far along into it. We were uh, up in the 300s of people that had been through the, through the process. So they pretty much knew what they were doing. And, and they were able to confirm with that that I had prostate cancer. And so um, we uh, decided to really double down on uh, our diet. And uh, we cut out all processed foods all processed, you know, sugars, uh, no white flour, um, nothing that was refined. It was just, you know, all whole foods, plant-based, nuts, fruits, legumes. Because we were pretty relaxed. It was basically, if it was vegan, we were okay with it back then. <laughs> so and uh, we went beyond <clears throat> vegan to whole foods, plant-based. And fortunately, uh, you know, the other thing was is we uh, started uh, following my PSA score uh, at that time monthly. And we were, which the doctors did not want to do, but uh, the doctor in Florida gave him a prescription for that. But the local doctors didn't want to do that. They didn't like that idea. Yeah. So, but anyway, we, we did follow it because he was looking for what they call doubling time. If the, my PSA score continued to rise and if it uh, doubled in a very short period of time, then um, I would have to take some other kind of course of action besides a dietary approach. And so, but fortunately, uh, my PSA scores went down instead. And every month, it was a little less each month. And over the course of about a year, uh, my PSA scores got back down to a um, very normal range. And, uh, and they've stayed down in that range between around a one to a two in that, in that uh, bracket. And it's kind of leveled off there. And uh, I don't do monthly tests anymore. I do about every uh, six months or so. I'll do a test just to see what it is. But uh, but so far, it stayed down in that <clears throat> that low range. And so uh, it's, it's amazing when you think about how few people would do what you did, and and question, and you know, because at that moment you're so vulnerable. You, yes. You, you hear the c word. Here's a professional who's done this a thousand times. You just want to, you know, put yourself in their hands and say, "Save me." And, you know, I don't know if you've, you know, looked into kind of the statistics of people who do prostate cancer surgery, but the, you know, the the rates of um, impotence and incontinence are are very very high. 
a lot of times it turns out the cancer itself, you know, you'd have died with it instead of from it. Yes. And, um, well, the morbidity is extremely high on, on all treatments, particularly on surgery. It's, um, 65 to 85% morbidity. And by morbidity, they mean just the things that you mentioned, incontinence and uh, impotence. And, uh, and a few other things too. And some other, other complications also. Well. Yeah. And so in, in the instance of that is, is very high, even with other methods of treatment, cryology and other things, it's very, very high, even higher than the surgery in some cases. And so, uh, you know, that was something we wanted to avoid if possible. And, uh, and some experts theorize it's even higher than that because these are embarrassing problems to men that a lot of men won't even admit to and follow up. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's true. And so, so you know, we, we were mindful of all of that. And so that's one of the reasons we, we did track the uh, PSA score monthly. We went back for <clears throat> subsequent MRI tests later uh, to confirm that there wasn't any progression or anything like that, and, which we were able to do that. So... Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's something that uh, everybody has to uh, make their own decision about how they want to approach those kinds of things. But I, after researching and studying it, I can tell you uh, most people that have prostate cancer, as you said, uh, would probably die from something else with it than uh, from it because it's not a very, in most cases, it's not aggressive. There are some cases where it is aggressive, and in those cases, it does need to be addressed. Um, in, a, in some fashion, but uh, but making that determination, you know, whether you have an aggressive form or not, is something to uh, uh, for everybody to look into and consider. Right, and, and I'm guessing that the the first urologist didn't stop and sit you down and say, and I want you to understand that you have a three and four chance of some pretty serious morbidity here from our surgery. Nope. No, as a matter of fact, said that. he never said that. And, Matter of fact, he, he said there's very little yeah. <laughs> side effects to it, which uh, you know I've since learned otherwise. And, and very, and very, little, very few side effects to his ability to make his next boat paint. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, that's one thing uh, that <clears throat> I have uh, really had an education, wide eye-opening experience. Uh, uh, this uh, from this whole. Um, uh, event in my life as far as uh, learning more about uh, the medical profession and, and what it's really all about and, and how much it's it's uh, uh, dollar centric and, and not so much health centric and uh, we one of the things that was going on with us at that time too is I was <clears throat> you know I was mayor of our city uh, and um, I was traveling to uh, uh, Washington DC uh, on a lot of meetings and things like that and of course our state capital also but um, but in DC we went one weekend and and um, Amanda uh, brought up to me that um, there was a uh, an organization that was headquartered in Washington DC called the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and she said, why don't we you know, take a little time and just stop by and see what they're all about. Because I had read some of Dr. Bernard's books and was very impressed with them. So I felt like they needed to be further investigated by us just in case we were interested in and, what they were doing. Uh, yeah, so she called, she called them up and, and uh, said, we'd you know, like to come by and visit. We can just kind of see what, what y'all are about and maybe we'll get involved and support y'all a little bit. 
And so uh, they said, sure, come on by. And uh, when we got there, they said, well, Dr. Bernard's here. Would you like to meet him? And uh, we said, sure. We, if he's got time to meet with us, we'd be glad to. And surprisingly, he took an hour out of his day just to sit down with us and tell us about his organization and what they do there. And from that point forward, it became the beginning of a, a, a very positive relationship, not only in our lives, but uh, professionally with us also. Uh, with his organization, and uh, later I, I served on his uh, um, legislative fund board of directors. And in that process, we we'd go to a lot of events that they have around the country. We still do attend some of them, and um, we were exposed to a lot of different uh, uh, professionals, health professionals, and, and leaders in the plant-based movement. We sat in on some of the medical CME. Uh, lectures that they had for, for people where they were having events and things like that and and got to meet people like Dean Ornish and um, Dr. Esselstyn at, at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, of course T. Colin Campbell, uh, just different people around the country that you know, all names that your people would recognize, uh, John McDougall, different people and so the and so through that exposure we started thinking golly you know um, they'd come out with this uh, uh, new documentary, um, Forks, Forks Over Knives, that uh, <clears throat> featured Dr. Campbell and others. And uh, we went to a screening of it down in Austin where Rip Esselstyn was, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Caldwell Esselstyn's son. Rip, as you probably know, and many of your listeners know, was a firefighter down in Austin at the Austin Fire Department. And they introduced some of these uh, concepts to the firefighters down there and made some really big changes in their lives. And uh, Rip ended up writing a book about what happened there called the Engine 2 uh, uh, book. I guess it's called Engine, Engine 2, 2 Diet. Engine 2 Diet, that's it. And uh, he uh, ended up going to work with Whole Foods and, of course, with John Mackey, who's the CEO of Whole Foods, uh, uh, putting these immersion programs together in different communities for their employees and and for their customers, uh, teaching people about whole foods, plant-based diet and the benefits of it. And so we started visiting with Rip and some others. Thought, well, you know, why can we do something like that in a in a city and in a community, and really bring meaningful change into um, uh, people's lives in in your in your town? And they said, you know, we've never tried that, and so. They said, we'll work with you and we'll, we'll do one in your town. And so we uh, kind of brought a, a, an immersion program that Whole Foods does into our community. And that was really the, the beginning of our health fest. And that uh, from that point forward, it's uh, it's just taken off and grown. That was in 2011. And 200 people attended. At that time, it was the largest immersion they'd ever had. So, And it was the first one that they'd ever done. It was just a weekend, not longer. And it was very successful. So... We had really wanted Dr. Bernard to come talk, but he wasn't available in August 2011. And after the immersion, we found out that he was available in January. And I said, look, this was successful way beyond our expectations. Why don't we do another event, a smaller event, because Dr. Bernard's available. And so we had our first health fest. At that time, it was called New Year, New You Health Fest because it was we were doing it in January. And Dr. Bernard and Juliana Hever spoke. And it was just 90 days from the time I found out Dr. Bernard was available until the event. <laughs> and in that amount of time, we had over, we had 160 people register. 
So it was from 90 days from inception to execution. And we were very encouraged by that. So I'm I'm really curious because, you know, um, I read your bio and, you know, Ed, you've, uh, you know, you started companies. Um, you were the mayor of, of Marshall. And I'm, I'm curious about talking about leadership because this seems to be something that comes naturally to you. And, you know, a lot of other people in the field sort of have have the mantle of leadership has been on their shoulders long before they realized it or long before they acted upon it or took it seriously or felt like they deserved it. You, you know what I'm saying? That, that, but some, somehow there's something in your nature or, or something that you, in your nature that you overcame in order to, to step up to leadership, to become a, le- you know, a civic leader, to sit on boards, to make things happen. For, for yourself and your family and the people around you. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Because it's, it's quite foreign to me to, to have that come naturally. Well, I don't know how natural it comes to me. I, I, actually, I'd say it probably is not natural to me. Uh, I, in a lot of ways, I'm prone to being an introvert and, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> Not, uh, not being a very gregarious person, but, uh, but I've always been interested in um, helping other people when I can and taking a personal interest in, in other uh, things that, uh, that can help people. And so... You're very uh, community-minded. And so, uh, you know, I've, all, I've been involved in different things uh, throughout my, my career. I've... From you know, serving as a board member of different organizations, or even president of a few organizations, <clears throat> and uh, uh, so I've always, uh, I've always been interested, like I said, in trying to help other people where, where I could, and and and, um, and so uh, and, and I try to do it, and uh, as low key as I can, <laughs> and uh, but. Uh, uh, once I became mayor of our, our city uh, and involved there for so many years, uh, it, um, <clears throat> it it becomes a little more natural, I guess. But uh, um, but basically, uh, it's just always been an interest to try to uh, help our community, help individuals in our community where I can, and and uh, you know just trying to see the you know what kind of positive things that, that you can accomplish within your community and and um, so that and that's kind of rewarding in that aspect um, I feel like when you know something could be better you feel compelled to act on that yeah I, I get that but, but something like becoming mayor like you that's competitive right you have to wake up one morning and say I'm I'm the best choice of anyone I'm a, <laughs> I'm a better choice than these people who are running against me. You become mayor, and you know at least a third of the people, a third of the time, think you're an idiot. <laughs> how, how do you how do you balance? It's more than that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. My my dad was in politics, so uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm sort of you know doing the math from New Jersey to Texas. Yeah. Um, but how you know how what what sustains you? In, in leadership when it means sticking your neck out? I don't know. You know, I learned some, uh, some of it I learned from my father, I guess. My father uh, was uh, a, uh, 
involved politically in our community over the years. He was a state judge here for a while. And so having been in and around and involved in, in, in the political realm a little bit, um, but it was never something that I really personally wanted to get, you know, get involved in. But back when I first uh, ran for office, um, there was a problem in our community, and I thought that um, I could probably contribute to uh, fixing it and turning it around. And so um, uh, I ran a, a campaign that was kind of grassroots oriented uh, on a <clears throat> bringing change into our local city government and how we approach things and trying to get it back to where it's <clears throat> focused more on, on the benefit of the community at large and not so much on special interests and individuals. And so, uh, and, that, and that's, that's really what lured me into it. And, uh, and then from there, uh, we were able to make some pretty broad changes. We had some problems here. Uh, we had a lot of turnover. We, we had to change out our city government management. We had to, uh, I don't want to get too far into the details of that, all of that. I mean, it's, it's all public record, but there were some really major issues that we had to deal with here and, uh, and we were able to do it and, um, make some successful turnaround changes. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm excited that we were able to do that and, and proud of that. But, uh, but nevertheless, um, uh, it's, uh, you're right. It's tough and, and, um, <clears throat> you gotta have thick skin and, and, I guess my skin has gotten thicker over the years, but uh, I always tell people, you know, it's, it's you, in politics and holding elected office, you know, uh, you start off with 25% at least of the people that, that don't like you to begin with. And, and uh, after the first year, you got another 25%. And by the end of four years, everybody hates you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember my, my father was telling me, like, politicians, the biggest mistake they make is they they get the announcer to, to call them out at sporting events and they think that they think people are going to be happy to see them. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the, the things that a lot of politicians make that mistake. They, uh, they need to realize it's not about them. It's about serving the public and the community. And, and once they get focused on themselves and, and become <clears throat> self-centric, uh, People are smart. They pick up on that, and uh, and it, uh, it it ultimately uh, backfires on them and uh, bites them. Sorry, we've got a phone ringing in the background. It's a backfire. You've got, you've, got, you've got life. You got dogs and phones. And... Yeah. Do you need to take it? No, this actually was a fax line that we have here. That, okay. <laughs> I don't know why it was ringing through, but uh, yeah. sometimes it does. People try to call that number for some reason. You don't speak fax. You don't pick up and scroll into it. No, actually, it'll pick up eventually, and you know they get they'll get that squealing tone in their ear. There. Um, but some I, listeners call that number a lot. Yeah. Okay. So so um, one of the things I noticed about the way you seem to get things done is that you elevate other p people to positions of, of responsibility and leadership very quickly. That, you know, you guys are, are, are health fest marshal, but you're kind of behind the scenes health fest marshal. That, you know, you immediately um, recognize Dr. Bernard's importance um, and that, you know, that you really get things done by encouraging and recruiting and empowering and weaving together other people 
to get things done. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I, I would think so. You know, everybody that we, you know, that the presenters and speakers that have attended Health Fest are leaders in their particular field of expertise and, and area of knowledge. And we try to help them promote themselves where we can. And, and then we... Um, we really don't want it to be about us. Right. And we've got a great group of people here in our, our community that have uh, gone down this journey with us and uh, made changes in the way... Uh, they live their life, their lifestyle, and uh, uh, their, um, um, I don't want to use the word evangelical, but uh, they're evangelists, if you will. I, I don't want to get into a religious it's not sense. Just, it's not just the speakers. I mean, they're all amazing and, and life-changing people, and we're so honored to have every one of them come. We have a lot of volunteers and some that have been working on this for years. Some, One of them, Crystal Gable, who's the co-director of the Health Fest, does an amazing amount of work. We couldn't have built this into what it is without her. And she came to the first one and said, I love what you're doing and I want to be involved. And she's been working with us ever since. So we have a lot of really loyal people that are dedicated and spend a lot of their time. And they're all believers. This. Yeah, they're all believers. And, they, and, and we and owe them a huge debt of gratitude. It is. I, I don't want to compare it to a religion because I don't <laughs> want to do that. But, but I, I guess what I'm saying is they're fervent about the transition and the benefits that they've seen in their own personal lives and what they've seen in others. And they want to spread the message and do everything they can to help. And so it's it's been amazing that... Uh, that we've had so many people that have helped us each year and uh, and want to continue to do so. It's become the largest tourism event in our community now. Which was a big surprise. We really started it for the community because we live in the stroke belt, the diabetes belt. We wanted people in this area to get healthier. I mean, just visiting a school, picking up my son from school when he was in elementary school, there was such a huge proportion of obese children and I thought about their lives ahead and how sad and difficult things were going to be for them in terms of their health outcomes and even socially, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, we just felt like, you know, we knew there was a better way and if people learned about it, they would embrace it. Maybe not everybody, obviously. Um, I was hopeful that it would be a higher percentage, but still the ones that do benefit so much and then they want to share it with other people and then a lot of times they come back as volunteers. In fact, over half the people that attend Health Fest each year are returning attendees, and some of them have come every year since the very beginning. So I, I imagine that the fact that it's become a tourist attraction is a cause for a lot of hometown pride. That, you know, people aren't going to New York to learn this. They're not going to London or, or Santa Cruz. They're, they're coming to 27,000 people, East Texas Marshall. Yeah. Yeah, it has. And, you know, when we first started with this, people really thought we were crazy. And, you know, they thought I'd lost my mind because, it's, as Manny said, you know, we're here in Texas. Uh, we're in the, the stroke belt. It's cattle country. Uh, becoming a hunter is a passage of uh, from boyhood to to manhood in this area. Uh, it's uh, you know uh, everything's meat centric, deep fried uh, to the point that it's really glamorized and romanticized. And <clears throat> so you know they thought we lost our minds, uh, particularly me. And uh, people would laugh at us, make fun a little bit. You know, they would, you know, ask me if I had my twigs for lunch that day yet, and things like that. And um, but after they began to see some of the changes in people's lives, people that were getting off their heart medications, uh, people were on statins, blood pressure medications, all those things, uh, 
type two diabetics that were on uh, insulin shots multiple times a day and taking metformin and things like that. Those guys reversing their uh, clinical signs of disease. Even and, autoimmune disorders reversing, the, and, where the doctor said you have to be on medication for the rest of your life and they're off their meds. And, and uh, you know, people off, off these meds within four to six weeks after, many of them within four to six weeks after making the change in their diet, uh, people begin to take notice of that. And then it kind of went from where you're crazy to, well, that's a good thing what y'all are doing and I'm glad y'all are doing it. I probably could never do it, but, uh, <laughs> You know, that's that's good for what y'all are doing. And, and then it kind of went to another phase where, you know, when this is what people would say to us when they say to us when they run into us on the street. And then it's kind of gotten to the point where we're sort of in the position now where a lot of people say, you know, I really should be doing what you're doing. I don't know that I can do that, you know, and, and uh, but I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to come to Health Fest this year, and, you know, or I. Or, you know, or maybe you could give us some information. And so we, and we do, we have an outreach that we try to, you know, uh, where we give people information like the, the China study and things like that. And we, we do things in the community. We have potlucks uh, every month, uh, Whole Foods plant-based potlucks. A few times a year we do grocery tours where those are free. You know, we just, anyone who wants to come can attend and we walk them aisle by aisle through the store and show them what the best options are. And we, we bring in, uh, uh, guest lecturers from time to time for special events here in the town, things like we that. We just had one at our um, potluck recently, Jennifer Singh, a pediatrician who is um, an advocate of a plant-based diet, and she's um, getting ready to do, start doing TED Talks, and she was a wonderful speaker. Yeah, so we, we brought, uh, I don't know, <clears throat> we brought uh, different people, Dr. Baxter Montgomery, different people, he's a cardiologist from Houston, uh, Josh Lujani, who's uh, become a plant-based uh, uh, runner, he's a guy that weighed 450 pounds. At one point, I believe it was over 400. He doesn't yeah. really know how high he got. He told me he thought it was like higher. 450. <laughs> anyway, he was well over 400 pounds, and uh, he um, he's running 100 mile races now. You know, he's I don't know, he's what 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 six foot tall maybe, yeah. and six uh, four. And, and, six okay. four. You know, him. you probably had him on your show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're actually business partners. Well, he oh, probably okay. weighs 180 pounds now. We love him. He's and, coming uh, back and directing the runs and stuff this year. Runs marathons, you know. People like that, you know, and, and they come Who in our community. inspire us. I mean, he inspires us. He's amazing. And they inspire people in our community when they come here and stuff. So so we're not the crazy people we used to be. It's, it's uh, you know, it's it, so it's, we're not uh, falling on deaf ears anymore. In fact, there were some uh, filmmakers, independent filmmakers, that were doing a movie on the plant-based movement in the United States. They're from Sweden. He's a physician in Sweden. Switzerland. Switzerland. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I said Sweden. Anyway, he's a physician in Switzerland, and I knew that, but tongue-tied. Anyway, and uh, she is a, a filmmaker, Carolyn Hoffman and Roland Bonney, and they came here to Marshall to talk to us about what we were doing because they'd heard about it, and they ended up making a film called The Marshall Plan. And you can go to the marshallplanmovie.com. We don't have a, any stake in that, anything financially. But my point is that it was supposed to be about the plant-based movement in the whole United States. And they were excited about what we were doing. So they made the focus of the film, what's going on in Marshall. But they had all plant-based experts from all over the country speak in the film. And it's a very good film. You can stream it online. They had, um, uh, they had a screening of it in uh, Sedona, Arizona last summer. Mm-hmm. At the film festival, there it's going around to film festivals right now. So I, I want to pick up on something else you mentioned around you know being part of meat country, cattle country, and you know you're you guys are not naive about business, right? You, you've uh, you've been a business person 
your whole life, Ed, sounds like. And, you know, I'm thinking a little bit about if you've seen, uh, you know, Nelson Campbell's movie Plant Pure Nation about yes. how, how the business interests really gutted uh, some very well-meaning civic efforts to make people healthier, um, you know, in, he, down here in the southeast. And I'm wondering, did, did you know, you're kind of messing with a lot of people's livelihoods if you are really successful at what you're doing. Did you have to navigate that? Did you feel like you were getting, you were threatening people, whether, yes. whether, yes. whether urologists who, who with these, uh, you know, robotic assembly line procedures or, or farm, you know, pharmacists just dispensing statins and like, like, uh, like candy and the, and the food industry. And I, yeah, we, we've, we've had a little pushback for the medical community. We had, we actually had a prominent physician here in our community that, uh, just flat out told me that you couldn't reverse diabetes. That that was just totally wrong. Of course, Dr. Bernard's been doing it in his practice for years and yeah, don't tell him. We've seen it, you know, he's written a book about it, you know, and we've seen, you know, we've seen it firsthand so many times now, but they, and it's not so much, I mean, it's just the fact that our medical profession is not educated about nutrition. That's the yeah. problem. It's not taught in medical school. And so there's pushback there because they've been taught to, to rely on prescription drugs for treatment of uh, chronic uh, illnesses. and Which and, doesn't cure anything. That's yeah. why they're still chronic. Right. And uh, then, you know, being here in cattle country, uh, we had some pushback from people like that. And it's kind of even worse than that because I grew up, uh, my family has a ranch and, and uh, in the cattle uh, business. And I grew up working uh, in, in the summers when I was out of school. And sometimes when I came home from college, I, you know, I worked uh, in that industry, uh, working as far as, uh, you know, out working cattle outside and uh, on the ranch and things like that. And, and, um, so the good part was, is that I understand that mindset and I understand where they're coming from. And so, you know, we, we have a, you know, a way to approach it with them and to talk to them. We don't try to beat them over the head with it or anything like that. And as a matter of fact, we found that, <clears throat> uh, and animal welfare is a big important thing with us now and uh, we're focused on it get healthy Marshall is focused on it we're trying to get a new animal shelter here and trying to take our community in a no-kill operation direction here as far as management of our animal uh, facility I they want to call it an animal shelter I don't call them shelters when they when they exterminate so many animals uh, at these places when it's, it's not needed but the animal welfare issue uh, is something that in this part of the world if you approach uh, people from that aspect first, you run into a brick wall because, as you said, it's affecting their livelihood. It's uh, a lot about who they are as a person, all of those things, and it's just difficult. They 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 won't listen, uh, and they even become aggressive. You know, so the we found though that from the health benefit standpoint, once people begin to see the benefit in their lives. And uh, when they're six months down the road and they're off of their medications and their health is turning around, and they're seeing that benefit and they haven't been eating a lot of meat or anything for six months or even longer, it's like a little light bulb clicks off in their mind. And all of a sudden they're receptive to animal welfare issues here. And so 
that's something that we've been building into our uh, efforts here in the last few years. Uh, at Health Fest, we usually have a speaker like Jean Bauer or Colleen Patrick Goudreau, somebody who addresses that, but not throughout the whole conference, but we have them speak once or twice during the weekend. Mm -hmm. So we try to, you know, introduce people to that side of the uh, why moving to a plant-based diet is is a good thing uh, without trying to um, uh, challenge them or create uh, uh, too much cognitive dissonance in their own <laughs> minds about what they're dealing with in their lives and stuff. And uh, we we found that uh, in this part of the world, that's much more successful venue. And we've actually, you know, talking about pushback, we got a lot of pushback from people that are in the animal welfare side of things more so than they are the health concerns. Attendees. And uh, so. really, really, would, some of those people were just as vicious to us as, as, uh, <laughs> as the... As some of the uh, people in the cattle industry early on, you know, around. <laughs> they were saying that we didn't focus on that enough. We didn't talk about the animals. We were, we were doing just doing it all wrong. Yeah, I, I so experienced that on the uh, the, the um, holistic holiday at Sea Cruise. There was mm -hmm. there was a contingent. You know, this is like a vegan cruise. And yes, we've been on it. We love it. We've been on it several times, and, and yeah, actually, contingent who were like insisting that that they had to wear their you know animal writes t-shirts all the time to distinguish them from the, you know, the Im yes. impure health vegans. Yes. Well, actually, yes. actually one of the, uh, one of the most aggressive people to, to us was on that cruise one time. Uh, yeah. when, when he met us and found out who we were, uh, he was very, very, <laughs> uh, challenging to say the least, uh, um, about what we were doing and he went off on and our him. motives. Yeah. Yeah. As a politician, you must be good at, you know, at, at compromise. I don't know if, if compromising, but but working for the best possible outcome given the the power constraints that exist. Well, I think you know, there's some things you can't compromise on, and uh, in in life, but uh, but the big thing though, <clears throat> politically, and, and whether it's being engaged in actual political uh, endeavors or just in life itself and trying to get things accomplished. I, uh, you, you got, you can't lose sight of the big picture and the end result and the end goal. And sometimes it's better to uh, take what you can, when you can, where you can, and come back and revisit it again a little later. And you, you find that you can make much more headway that way and accomplish things. It may take a little bit longer, but uh, step by step like that, you can, you can ultimately get to where you want to be. Whereas if you try to bite it all off in the very beginning and, 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 and bulldoze your way through something, uh, you, you create barriers and brick walls and, and, and that people are unwilling to tear down in the future. Uh, that they're not receptive about removing. And uh, whereas if you work on them a little bit at a time and they see progress and make headway, and uh, they soften and uh, those barriers begin to come down. Right. So two more things I want to ask you about. One of them is let's, let's get in a great pitch, sales pitch for this year's Health Fest. But before, before we go there, um, I'm curious how it went from 200 people, 160 people, a local event, you bring in 
one or two, you know, yeah, they're celebrities, but no one in Marshall's ever heard of them. Like, no, you yes. know, no one, no one, no one knows who Juliana Hever and Neil Barnard are unless they're already sort of in the movement. How did how did it become this international sensation? Well, you want to um, you want to address that? I, I'm still not even sure. I'm just glad it did. Um, we, one of the things we tried to do was. You know, we had been to a lot of conferences, and I tried to make it where it was something where people could meet other people and talk and spend time together. So Friday night, everything's a plenary session all in a row, and Saturday and Sunday, it's broken up into two or three things, four things sometimes going on at a time all over downtown. We got different restaurants involved. We still have the restaurants do things. To You were talking about the business um angle how sometimes they could feel threatened so we try to include them but we got it to where people are moving around meeting people we have fitness classes built in we have a 5k and i think that makes us different than other events and that's all voluntary too the zumba the yoga and pilates other stuff that's going on those are all optional in between lectures short exercise classes so people don't get too sweaty but it gets people moving around and talking they're not just sitting in a conference all day in one spot and they have a chance to meet people and get to know people and establish relationships and it i think it got people talking about it more and so i think the way that the event was set up to where we really also focus on the social aspect and the physical aspect of getting people moving i think that helped it build into something different was that your intention when you set up the the Zumba and the restaurants that you wanted? Like you were, you were strategically thinking, how are we going to make this different from other things? We're going to get people moving and talking to each other, or was that just a happy accident? That was part that of was it. That was part of it. And part of community. Go ahead. Yeah, part of it. We were trying to. We wanted to get the local business community engaged uh, because we knew that if people we're willing to make this change or give it a try here locally <clears throat> that people just don't always eat at home and they need a supportive environment and people go out to eat and that kind of thing and so we we had to find a way to uh, give them some options when they go out uh, for lunch with people or out to dinner or that type of thing where they have a viable option to order something off of the menu and so we we started working with the local restaurants to get them to uh, give it a try and we still, like our potluck dinners, aren't always a potluck. Sometimes we'll do a dinner at a restaurant and we'll have them, we'll have the restaurant just our, ourselves for our group that night and they'll make a special menu for us and the restaurant will try to make things they've never made and they'll see that it's easy to make vegan food and then they'll start offering vegan food on their menu and it, it sort of creates the change in the direction that we're trying to go in and it's an easy and inspiring way for the business to be involved in a way that's profitable for them and they can get enthusiastic about and they can learn without even realizing that they're learning. When we first started, there were no restaurants in this community that offered a vegan option <clears throat> of any kind. Now, we've got a, a several, <laughs> many. And some that have whole vegan menus. I mean, in addition to their regular <clears throat> menu, they have a vegan menu with 20 different options, some of them, which for a small town is kind of unheard of. So, so that aspect of it, uh, was challenging, but uh, but it's one of the things that we we think helped make it successful. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this year. Some so someone's listening. They've uh, they've got a few days. They've got a couple hundred bucks discretionary, and they're thinking about coming. What's 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 in it for them? What are they going to experience? Like where do they fly into? When is it? 
Well, it's it's not that difficult to get here, even though it might seem like it is. <clears throat> Shreveport, Louisiana is, is 30 miles away. It's just across the state line. And the airport is right there, even less uh, just across the state line. And, and Shreveport is served by Delta, American, uh, United. Um, and a lot of people drive from Dallas. And some people fly into Dallas and drive from Dallas because Dallas is just a couple of hours away. So yeah, so and it's and it's easy to get to uh, Marshall's on at the intersection of Interstate 20 and uh, Highway 59, soon to become Interstate 69. We have people that drive here every year from Chicago and New Hampshire. So <laughs> some people just drive all the way. Yeah. That's a long way to drive, though. So I think I'd get a plane. And it's it's focused. The uh, Friday night is in our Civic Center, and uh, it uh, we all meet there, and we have kind of like a series of. Sort of like TED Talks that evening. Uh, there'll be and there's food, food vendors there. and food other vendors. types of vendors and yeah, a lot and, of things to eat and look at. And then and book signings. Then after that, Saturday and Sunday, everything moves to the historic downtown area, and we have different venues with different things going on uh, at uh, at different times. So whether it's uh, lectures from people like Dr. McDougall to uh, celebrity chefs giving. Uh, cooking classes and we have social opportunities too like we have a vegan wine and cheese tasting and we have live music at several different venues downtown on friday and saturday night so there's after hours things too for people to do exactly sounds, sounds like, a, sounds like the single scene too <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's perfect for plant-based people looking to meet someone you're right i didn't even think of that everything should have a singles event <laughs> yeah everything is within a few blocks and within walking distance and uh, and then sunday morning we have, in addition to yoga and meditation classes and so forth, and those are all day Saturday and Sunday, different kinds of classes, we have a, a 5K and 10K race or a one-mile walk. So there's something for every fitness level. And um, Saturday, so that's Sunday morning. Saturday morning we have a training run that will be led by Josh Johnny this year. And that's become very popular. But last year in the 5K, 10K, there was around 200 people. That, so that's kind of grown into a popular part of the event. A lot of people who have never done a 5K before um, will come and make that their first one. Or for the elite runners, that's why we added the 10K. Because, for example, when Gene Bauer came, he, came, he ran all the way from his hotel on the other side of town to the 5K, ran the 5K, and then ran back to his hotel because that wasn't enough for him. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so it turned into like a 20-mile mile run. Um and, and I, then the rest of the day, we have lectures and classes on Sunday, and we have we end with an all-star Q&A with about half a dozen speakers or more, and they answer any questions anybody might have. And this year, we're particularly excited because we've got Dr. John McDougall coming and his wife, uh, uh, Mary, and also his son, Craig, who's an MD also. And uh, they're all going to be lecturers uh, during the event. Uh, we, we've got Chef AJ. We've got Dr. Garth Davis, who... Uh, he and his father had a TV program called Big Medicine that was syndicated. Well, he knows because he covered his book. Well, that's right. You did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, Dr. Baxter Montgomery, he's a uh, very well-known uh, cardiologist down in Houston. Uh, Dr. Uh, Carney, she's uh, also a physician here in Texas. Uh, Dr. Miguel, uh, excuse me, not McDoctor, but uh, the chef, Miguel Batista. I'm really excited about him. He's from Mexico, and he's an interesting person. Uh, he's opened some restaurants in Mexico. We've actually eaten at uh, his in Vegan the, Planet. Yeah. Vegan Planet in Cancun. But the interesting thing about him, he's from the, he's Hispanic, but, uh, and he speaks he's from California. perfect Spanish, but he's from California, and he was actually the personal chef of Don Imus 
And, and Ray Romano. Everybody loves Raymond. He's perfect <laughs> chef for him. So he's and, been a celebrity chef before he became a restaurateur in Mexico. And uh, he's been opening uh, plant-based uh, restaurants in uh, Mexico and in South America. And really teaching. changing the culture there around food. It's so exciting when he's doing it. His food's amazing. And uh, so he's going to be here and he's going to have some cooking classes. And Actually, Eric Marcus uh, from <laughs> Vegan.com, who's written a lot of books, the last book he wrote, he went and stayed in Cancun. He often goes and stays somewhere place to be, you know, able to be with his thoughts when he's writing. And the place that he selected to stay, he selected based on its proximity to Vegan Planet because he wanted to eat there every day while he was writing his book. <laughs> so how do you get all these people to show up? I mean, do you, uh, do you, you know, do you pay them huge sums of money? Do you... Like what? What's <laughs> depends on the person. It, it depends on who who it is. Uh, you know, uh, some of uh, to get the really top known um, for the keynote speakers. Keynote speakers, uh, they're it's expensive. usually substantial, and yeah. uh, they're they're pretty expensive to get here. Uh, we've tried. The thing about it though is, is you can compare our costs uh, because it's a nonprofit. We're not trying to make money out of it. Uh, our just, goal each year is to break even. We don't so, want to lose money. <laughs> so for what we offer and, and what's here, the ticket price is about half of what you would or, see. Or even less. For uh, somewhere else. And uh, and maybe not as many uh, people but there's, uh, lecturing and that type of thing. Yeah. So the, it's a big bang for the buck here. And, uh, and we have over 20 speakers. And, you know, we pay their travel cost and, and lodging and everything else, meals. So it, it adds up. But... We try to calculate the ticket price to where it can be the lowest it could possibly be so people can afford to attend and cover all of our cost. That's the math we try to do. And, you know, we started off trying to keep the cost as low as we could because, one, we wanted to attract people in our community. And, and just given the, the nature of where we are in the part of the world that we're in, you know, a financial barrier is the easiest excuse for people not to come and not to attend. And so we wanted to, you know... We didn't want that to be a prohibitive barrier for most people in our area uh, financially to say, oh, I, will, I can't go to that because it costs too much, you know. So we, uh, we've tried to make it affordable for everybody. And, uh, and surprisingly, it's so affordable we get people coming from all over the country to go to it. Yeah, and other countries. So I don't, I don't want to um, mess with your model because, you know, you, but I'm wondering if this is something you think that other communities around the country could could replicate. Is this, actually, is this something franchisable? Actually, we, you know, Get Healthy Marshall. There's, we have, besides healthfest.com, we have a website called gethealthymarshall.com. And we have a Get Healthy Marshall Facebook group. And there's a thing, how to start your own Get Healthy group. And people have formed, there's 14 or 15, maybe 16 Get Healthy groups now around the country. Um, and we tell them to use anything they want from us. We want them to copy it. We want them to do it and take it to their community. So they can copy our entire Get Healthy Marshall website if they want and change it to the name of their community. They can duplicate our Facebook page. We have materials for them that they can use. We suggest they donate books to the library. We tell them how to start a potluck. So we'll give them anything they want if they want to do it too because we, we want this to be something that doesn't even need to exist. And the only way to do that is to get people to start these kind of movements in their own areas. Yeah, so there's there's Get Healthy, um, uh, other cities like Get Healthy Little Rock, places like that, uh, or get, was it Get Healthy Hot Springs, I, I believe it was. Uh, there, there's a number of them that, that use the term Get Healthy instead of Marshall. They just plug their city in. Then there's others that have changed their name, like Longview, for instance. There's a group over there. They call it Beeling Longview, uh, but they're uh, trying to do something similar to what we're doing here and following go. us. 
Um, so it's, Arlington, uh, Bandera, Baytown, Clear Lake, Como County, Frisco, Plano, Allen, McKinney, Kansas City, Little Rock, New Hampshire, Rockwall, San Antonio, Shawnee, yeah. uh, Angleton, Tyler. These are all get, so, called Get Healthy. Got get, you know, get Healthy Clear Lake, Get Healthy Baytown, Get Healthy Kansas City, Get Healthy. Little yeah, Rock. we want people to borrow anything they want from us free of charge and, and, and take it to their town. Tyler. Uh, and modify it however they need to for their community, too. They don't have to copy it exactly. If they want to, they can. But if something better will work in a different way, then we encourage that flexibility, too. Yeah, Tyler, for instance, uh, went to Eat Healthy Tyler instead of Get Healthy Tyler. But it's the same same uh, template, same concept. And uh, so we've, um, you know, we've tried to help people and encourage them wherever we can. One of these groups the other day just had a potluck and over 200 people attended. I, she posted about it online. I thought that was so exciting. I think it was the one in New Hampshire. Um, but yeah, their potlucks have been growing and growing. You know, the exciting... That's a big potluck, 200 people. <laughs> the exciting thing that, you know, we, we ventured off into this uh, digital online magazine that we've got called Veg World Magazine. It's, it's focused on a plant-based uh, diet. And uh, we've, in the last few years, we've been around the country quite a bit and, and out of the country a lot. And the amazing thing that we've seen really in the last five years is there's been a huge change uh, for the good uh, and growth in the plant-based movement. And we're amazed at, at uh, you know, five years ago, uh, some places you'd visit uh, hardly even knew what the term vegan was. You couldn't or, even get non-dairy milk yeah. <laughs> for your coffee. And now, just for instance, in, in, in Europe, you, in, for instance, Paris, and uh, when we, a few years ago, when we first went to Paris over there, we could, you know, we had to work hard to eat a, a plant-based diet there while we were there, which we were able to do, but it was, you know, it took some effort. Now you can go to most any restaurant over there and there are options and there's, there's whole food, there's vegan restaurants and, you know, all over Paris now and places like that. Germany of all places is has like become the leader. Vegan heaven. Germany is plant based heaven. That's amazing. You know, Italy, um, Spain. Uh, <laughs> when we first went to Spain, we had to. <laughs> they made us leave one place. Yeah. There's nothing for you here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we ended up eating some olives in a in a place called the Ham Museum. <laughs> <laughs> it was the museum of pork. It was, yeah. it was something like that. We had a plate was, of olives. We had a plate of olives is all we could get. Now you go over there and there's restaurants that you can go sit down and they offer. If not, everything's plant based. They have a lot of plant based options. So it's yeah. It's the 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 whole world is changing out there, and uh, and that's what's exciting. And and just and knowing that we've been a little played a little bitty small role in our little corner of the world on that as you were doing you're you're definitely a piece of that and what you're doing is making a difference i bet for a lot of people yeah yeah it's uh you know i'm reminded of the uh, this book i was forced to read in high school uh, candide by voltaire and the last line is like let us go cultivate our garden like whatever's mm -hmm. outside your back door is where you have power and leverage and the ability to to make huge changes, you know, that, that uh, if you just go, go at it with a, you know, in, intelligence and a good heart, people everywhere will start to notice. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's a difficult thing to get started in the community, particularly in an area like where we are. 
Uh, but, but that's it's not so impossible. difficult that we can discourage people. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, it, the startup part is a little bit of work, but then once you get it going, and especially if you have a few people who want to be involved, if you have two or three people who want to be involved and help with the, the potlucks and the different events, and you can contact some people and they can contact us and we can tell them like various people that may just come speak out of the goodness of their heart. Joshua Johnny has come and spoke. And not during just during Health Fest, but at other times at some of our events. And that, there's and a learning curve too. too, you know. I mean, uh, the first couple of first few year or two we, we did this, uh, it, it, we went in the hole with it, isn't that what I'm telling you? Yeah. Uh, and uh, starting but, again uh, healthy group is not as challenging as doing something like Health Fest. That but, is definitely more challenging. Yeah, Health Fest is, uh, you know, like you said, is, is expensive. Uh, it can be expensive, and so there's. Some, there's a learning curve with that, and and you got to get a critical number of mass of people to attend it. Also, although in a larger area, more populated, it may be um, less of a challenge actually. Yeah, and and you know just learning how to how to price it and, and how to promote it and all of those things. It there's there there is a a, a learning curve there that. Uh, but other that people we, are doing we, like Benji. We cuts. can help people, you know, yeah. avoid some of the mistakes we made. Uh, you know, it sounds like we didn't make any mistakes, but we made some mistakes along the way. Yeah. And, uh, and it sounds like you're being generous. Um, it, a, uh, a gardening teacher of mine says he, uh, um, what is, he open sources his successes and he trademarks his mistakes so no one else can. Make them. <laughs> I like that. Well, I like that. So just uh, what's what's the dates and where do people go to find out more and sign up? Um, Health Fest is March uh, 31st through April 2nd this year. It's a usually beautiful weather that weekend, fingers crossed. Uh, the website is healthfest.com, all together, no spaces or anything or underlines. Healthfest.com, you can sign up there. Um, anything to add to that, Ed? No, uh, just that it... Uh it can be a life-changing event for people if they want to come. Oh, yeah. We were going to give your listeners a 10% discount on tickets, too, if they uh, type in plant yourself in the discount code field. Um, okay. I'll take off 10%. I've never had a discount code before. You have your own now. <laughs> wow. And, and when we have to say that I don't get any of that money, that's just that goes straight to them. This is not, yeah. a, uh, this is not an affiliate deal. Nope. Not an affiliate deal. So, awesome. Oh, I'm so excited to have a – I feel like going there and – putting in my 10 percent <laughs> you know some of the things we do at the event uh just for people to know uh is for the benefit financially of our uh efforts to uh build a new animal shelter facility here oh yeah we always have every year vitamix the last few years this year we don't have one but in previous years vitamix gave us a machine and we did a raffle every year prior to that we did a vegan chili cook-off every year but all the funds from that we raise money for our animal shelter at health fest with a couple little side things we do at the event so Cool. Well, here I'll uh, I'll say this. Uh, I'll spe I'm speaking out of turn <laughs> for myself and Josh. We're we're working on a book together, and like all books, it wants to take forty years to get done. Mm-hmm. And so I want I want to say we want to have a uh, a copy ready to sell at Health Fest. Oh, that'd, that'd be, be amazing. That would be amazing. It it might be you know stapled together with uh, with carpet tacks or something. It might it might not be fully. Uh, you know, beautiful and published, but uh, that that gives us a uh, six weeks. Well, we would love for you to come as our guest if you're interested in attending. So that offer's out there. Ooh, <laughs> well, my job here is done. <laughs> <laughs>
That was the point of this whole conversation. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that, I was. Uh, Do I'll that and have your first book signing. No, we're fans of your work, so it would be an honor for us to have you here. Definitely. Yeah, the only hard part is having to run next to Josh. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he's amazing. It's it's amazing to turn around. Yeah, we're he's such there. fans of his. He's got such a great spirit. Yep. All right. Well, Ed and Mandy Smith, I'm so impressed and excited and inspired by the work you're doing because it's it's such great work and it's also such little work like it's work that any of us could do you know in our in our communities and uh, it's like planting a little seed and watching it watching it grow into a a mighty oak you know you can't plant an oak tree but you can plant an acorn and uh, I think you guys have, have done it a tremendous amount for for our planet and for the animals and for the health of the people. So I'm so excited and honored to have you as my guest today. Thank you, Howard. And we really appreciate you having us on the show and we really appreciate the work you're doing in the world. Thanks. Let's get the word out and let's uh, let's have a big party in Marshall in March. Let's okay. do it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 198. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 197 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast, but not the Big Change Bulldog, my weekly newsletter, you can sign up and you can also get the Sometimes Say Never report at plantyourself.com slash never, N-E-V-E-R. Big thanks to Plant Yourself podcast patrons, Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrot, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Volkanovsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolman, Ovalia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Joe Zena, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, and Tom Franzek for your generous support of the podcast. And of course, Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can. You can share this and other episodes on social media and via email, help get our numbers up. You can write a review on iTunes. Here's a couple from Lechat or Lechat98. Love this podcaster. Pleasant to listen to. Great pertinent information. Howard has an easy conversational style. He asks great questions to get his interviewee talking. Thanks. And AZ Pad user writes, Howard has so many different guests on his podcast. They aren't just plant-based people, although most are. Other guests cover aspects of life such as psychology, athletics, personal growth, sustainability, and much more. The listener gets to hear Howard ask all the questions she, he might ask. Truly insightful questions. Thank you, Howard. That's very sweet. And it's nice because I got a comment on the podcast from last week from someone complaining that I say like all the time and they couldn't stand to listen to it. And I have like no idea what he was like talking about. But uh, anyway, we were talking about how you could help me. And another way is to become a patron by pledging a one-time amount or ongoing gift to the podcast over at plantyourself.com. In garden news, a huge garden weekend. We tore down a fence. We put in another Google culture bed. And I spent several hours yesterday pruning a grapevine. I had no idea grapevines needed pruning. I just thought the more they grew, the more grapes you got. And that theory held until this past summer when we just let the thing grow wild. I even put up a little arbor 
so that they could grow even farther. And this summer we had almost no grapes. So then I checked it out, found out what we were doing wrong, and we cut it back to what looks to me like just a couple of gnarled limbs. Like it's it's inconceivable to me that this thing is going to come back. But all the YouTubers say, well, middle of February, you want to trim and you want to cut it way, way back. So we shall see if cutting back things to their essentials, to their bare bones and getting rid of all the frills for uh, organic anti-fragile systems can actually stimulate more growth. More on this as the spring and summer and fall progress. In running news, my training is at a setback. There's a pain in my left foot that I'm working on, taping up a little bit, but I'm not being able to do the longer miles or the faster runs that I'm trying to do. But I have almost a month left, so I'm hoping uh, the uh, PT that I do through total motion release is going to help and maybe some massage and uh, stretching and that I'll still turn in a decent performance. I'm also considering running down to New Orleans, well, flying down to New Orleans to uh, run in the Crescent City Classic uh, with Josh Lajani. And so that would give me another opportunity. That's only 10K, so I could... Uh, Try to turn on the burners a little bit in that one. But here's where gardening and running intersect. That right now, most of my cross-training workouts are just doing useful things in the garden, hauling mulch, chopping out some holly trees that are put where they shouldn't have been, and stuff like that. Well, that's all I got for this week. So as always, be well, my friends. <laughs>